Welcome to the Modern Futures Podcast. Humanity is evolving at a pace never seen before. Join futurist Nicholas Badminton as he discusses how new ideas and developments impact us today, how they will make tomorrow more productive, and how they can make life a little more challenging. the latest episode of the Modern Futures podcast with me, Nicholas Bamington. I'm a futurist and I'm here in lovely Penticton with Sarah Prevett, who's an entrepreneur and founder of Future Design School, uh, which is a company based out in Toronto. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Good. Thank you. Sarah, you've been up to so many things over the past few years, building a number of different companies. Can you just give us a little bit of a history of, of where you came from in terms of education into the real world as it is? And then companies that you've built and how you've got to today with Future Design School. Oh, wow. Life story. Okay. A little bit. A little bit. <laughs> Nothing too crazy. Yeah. So, well, actually, so uh, when I was 15 years old, uh, I had an opportunity to work for a really dynamic and charismatic entrepreneur. And that really changed my life and put me down a really interesting trajectory of thinking about entrepreneurship as a viable career path and starting to see opportunity in, in different challenges. And so uh, through that experience, I started to think about different ideas that I had and uh, I built my first company. Uh, I dropped out of university to do so. And uh, it was an abysmal failure on all counts. Right. <laughs> it was terrible. As they always are in the first instance, Well, I generally. think some people get lucky. I was not yeah. one of those people. Sure. Mm -hmm. Lots of lessons. Um, so I tucked my tail between my legs uh, and went and worked for another uh, really great entrepreneur and learned a ton. And we sold that company, which was building legal software and things to Thompson okay. writers. Okay, And cool. it was through those experiences that I started to see, you know, how can we really help young entrepreneurs? If you don't have a network of support, if you don't know how to build your business and you have questions about everything from pricing to hiring people, you know, getting out there. And so I, I had this whole premise of building a community that would help entrepreneurs or entrepreneurs helping entrepreneurs. Right. And that was really the, the birth of Sprouter, which became a, a really large, one of the world's largest online communities for entrepreneurs, uh, where entrepreneurs could get real-time advice. And so we learned a lot through uh, Sprouter and uh, got to be a part of some exceptional entrepreneurial journeys of people around the world and learned so much from, from them. And then went on to build uh, Betakit, which yeah. is an emerging tech publication here in Canada. Yeah. I, uh, write, I write for Betakit. Do you really? I haven't told you this Oh, yet. well, that's, yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. See, so, everything so I, comes full circle. I, I was in Toronto with the team uh, a couple of weeks ago. That's great. Douglas and Yeah, everyone. yeah. Big up to Betakit. That's there. awesome. Yeah. yeah, and so and, and I, I really love the direction that Betakit has taken now since the acquisition and, and really focused on Canada. I think that's really great. And so after Betakit, I went uh, and built a, a venture capital fund, mostly investing in early stage consumer companies. Uh, worked with some exceptional people, people who had been the head of Lego and Starbucks and, and things like that. And really, you know, we started coming back to this question. I kept coming back to how is it that smart people aren't working on the most pressing problems? <laughs> you have right. this, we live in a world where we have some cataclysmic challenges. Like climate change isn't a joke, that's a big problem. Yep. We have finite resources, you want and to keep it doing Yeah, like it's, it's, this is like factual scientific problems that we seem to be 
unwilling to address. And so one day I sort of just woke up and thought, you know, all of these things that we're learning and, and the, the mindset that we build as entrepreneurs and those skills that we, we learn, those methods around solving big problems, what if we actually put that into the water supply and we didn't keep that contained in the startup ecosystem? What if that was for everybody? Right. What if you could do it in middle school? You get people familiar and get their creative confidence going and then give them an impetus to actually have a positive impact on society. And that was really the birth of Future Design School. It was really around that premise. Okay, cool. It, it, the idea that there's potential in children that, that maybe isn't being released until later in life, right? Well, or not at all. I mean, right. let's be very clear. I don't know about your educational uh, experience, but for me, you know, it was like banging my head against a wall. And I had some exceptional teachers, and I was really privileged to, to go to good schools and, and have a good education. But at the same time, anytime I wanted to step outside that box, the box didn't allow for that. Anytime right. I wanted to push things, you know, I, I was pushed back down into, no, that's not what we're doing now. And so, and I don't think that we're doing enough to empower teachers to really allow students to pursue their passion or find their tribe. And it took a long time for me to find my proper tribe in life, probably, you know, late into my 20s. Yeah, yeah. It's the same, same for me. I, I was at school. I flunked school and ended up coming out into the real world. And I worked in very menial jobs for two or three years and then realized that I was really good at computers. Mm -hmm. But I just wasn't accepted into the class at school because mm -hmm. it was oversubscribed. Mm. So I'd, I'd lost two to three years because of administration. That's crazy. And not identifying, a, yeah. a, you know, an opportunity. And, yeah. and maybe schools and the curriculum and the tests and, you know, tests teach you how to be good at tests. Mm -hmm. They don't teach you how to be good in the real world. I was very good in the real world. A lot of these kids are really good in the real world as well. Yeah. What sort of age do you sort of engage with kids and what is the process as well? Yeah, so I mean, we, we have programs that run K to 12 and then higher ed, uh, but our real sweet spot is grades six through eight because that's where you have a foundation of knowledge uh, and you already have started to come into your own and know what you're passionate about, right? Yeah. And so that's an exciting time to get a kid who's idealistic, excited, has big ideas, and then give them the tools to be able to act on that. So what we're really passionate about is getting you to uncover what you're passionate about as a student and then thinking about what problem do you want to solve and then giving you methods and this repeatable skill set of ideation, validation, rapid prototyping, giving you a toolkit essentially that you can now go through these methods to ask the right questions, do user discovery, create uh, your, your ideas, build prototypes, test them, break them, build a skill set, but also build a culture within that person of experimentation. The idea that things aren't always going to work and your great phenomenal idea has to iterate and everything is an iterative process. And yeah. I think, you know, the, we come at it as entrepreneurialism mindset. And so it's not about just building companies or building products. It's about thinking about seeing potential and challenges. It's about being excited about your own creative impact uh, and just seeing yourself as an entrepreneur, someone who can fix problems. And you can be an entrepreneurial doctor, an entrepreneurial lawyer, you know, anything. You, it doesn't matter what role you choose in life. You can be entrepreneurial in your own sphere of influence. So, so that's really interesting to me. And, and you take the model of Future Design School into existing schools, right? Yeah, so we actually, we built a program, we call it Young Innovators Program, and, and our whole model uh, is actually predicated on empowering teachers. So we know that there are amazing teachers inside the education system, both private and public, who 
want to lead this kind of project-driven, inquiry-based driven uh, uh, kind of study. And so what we do is empower teachers, letting them go through their own design process, design their own big ideas, build their own prototypes with mentorship from other entrepreneurs, designers, and engineers. And then we equip them with the curriculum uh, and, and sort of the technology to be able to facilitate that within their schools. So does this serve kids that want to do tech and product as much as kids that want to be the most experimental <laughs> chef? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, the process is really one and the same. It doesn't matter what you're trying to do or what you're trying to accomplish. The idea of really understanding who your customer is. As a chef, yeah. you still need to know who your customer is. Who, what did they need? How can you delight them? What can you try? How do you build things? There's still that framework. And it doesn't really matter if you're building a process or a product or a strategy. The process of thinking, problem solving, critical uh, questioning for understanding who your user is, it doesn't change. Right. Okay, it's interesting to me. And the big question that I have is, great, we've given the, the teachers the toolkit mm -hmm. and we've got the kids there mm -hmm. and we've, we've got them going through this. What about the poor parents? Because what we've got is a situation, and I, I, I was in Chicago last week, I was mm -hmm. chatting to a very good friend, and he's got a teenage son who idolizes a lot of these people on YouTube, mm -hmm. and has set up his own home studio like Casey Neistat, <laughs> awesome. and he's started to do vlogging yeah. and whatever, and that's cool. it's absolutely valid yeah. as, as, as a way of making a living if you push long, long enough and hard enough yeah, and are yeah. experimental enough. However, for the parent, and the expectations of like, I want the best for my child, I don't see my kid getting a job immediately that gets well paid, that can buy a house, <laughs> that can buy a yeah. car and live a sustainable life. Yeah. It is a challenge, right? So so, so, how do you solve that problem? Because I see that, that that's a generational problem. Yeah. You know, my parents were incredibly like open, they let me do whatever the hell I like, you know, and I made my own mistakes and I did, did whatever and luckily I've ended up being a decent guy, right? <laughs> Uh, and, and actually having uh, an interesting career. But for a lot of parents, you know, they kind of want their kids to either follow in similar footsteps or acceptable footsteps. Whereas something like the Future Design School is all about building something that disrupts and changes from what I can understand. Yeah, well, you know what, I think that's a valid point. Every, every parent, every good parent, it wants their child to be stable, secure, and happy. And so we tend to think, and generationally, in older generations, linear. Right? We think in a linear fashion. How do we, uh, you know, you get a good job, you get a title, you work for promotion, right? You do a good job, you continue to go. And so in a lot of these careers in freelance or self-employment, they're not linear, right? right? You know, and and you might try something, and when things don't work, you need to do something else. And so. I mean, I, I think that there's always going to be risk associated with entrepreneurship and you're always going to have to mitigate that risk and you're also, and you, know, you know what your risk tolerance is, your risk profile as an individual, but that doesn't stop you from being entrepreneurial in a role that has security. You can be entrepreneurial working in an established company. You can be entrepreneurial in any sort of discipline and, and I think that, you know, depending on your risk profile depends on how far you want to take that and if you want to be an entrepreneur, that's one thing. And yes, I'm sure my parents are still waiting for me to get a real job. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it's interesting. Risk, like, yeah. I, I think risk is like a keyword for 2016 
to 2025. I think that there's a huge amount that's going to change. The world's going to be broken and rebuilt into new different ways. Yeah, maybe in a more negative way than we think if Trump is continuing to rise in popularity. Well, you know, we're up in Canada, so we're okay for the time being, okay? I mean, obviously the halo effect, but like, let's move aside from uh, from, from that particular piece. I think the risk profile is changing, though, and I think the culture of risk has changed because I think even five years ago in Canada talking about entrepreneurship, it was not as widely accepted and now the culture has changed where we recognize and value entrepreneurship and we we recognize those skills right and all companies as they're being disrupted as they're having the impact of all of these innovations that are happening they're looking to be more innovative themselves so the conversation is happening at scale about how do we as companies become innovative and who do we need to hire to really be pushing our innovation inside of our company and so that that's a point where all of a sudden we're saying, okay, great, companies are willing to take risks. They're willing to do skunk works projects, try pilots, right? They're willing to try things that they know may not pan out. Who's the biggest risk taker that you look at in the modern business world? Oh, wow. Uh, that, that you think, okay, if I'm going to sit down and tell these kids at school and it's like, okay, you want to see someone that's really got passion yeah. and drive, but is willing to take a step forward when other people aren't willing to take a step forward? And like, say someone, and I'm going to tell you that you can't say Elon Musk. Oh, that was exactly- I was like, Elon, it's got to be Elon. He built rockets. Like, and going out and saying, you know what, I want to build a rocket that lands, you know, (laughs) vertically. Like, come on. You want to talk about big moonshots? It's true. It's amazing. And and going right to the 11th hour, (laughs) nearly selling Tesla to Larry Larry Page at Google. I understand. Like, the guy is the epitome. Okay, everyone's everyone's talking about Elon Musk. All right. But, so, but like you know, if you're gonna name someone else, someone else, it's just it, I, I'm moving away from him just because like right. he's, he's an amazing guy and we know a lot about. Him. But like I, I think that there's some really interesting risk risk takes. No, I mean I always look at Richard Branson from from being a British guy <laughs> and he built a magazine when he was at school, mm-hmm. Virgin Records. Mm-hmm. He signed Mike Oldfield, Tubular Bells, yeah. and then he started his own airline. Yeah. That that's equivalent of building your own rocket ship back in the Absolutely. back in the late seventies, right? So that's for me. I mean, are there other people out there I mean, that you're just like that person? Well, there's tons of entrepreneurs, and I think that what I find impressive are the people who stay ahead of the curve, yeah. right? And the people who have stayed alive long enough and and built these big companies by. You know, pivoting is the wrong word. I hate the word pivot right. because if you're staying true to the problem and just changing your solution, I don't believe that that's a pivot. I believe that that's maturation and evolution. And so I think that we have a ton of really great entrepreneurs across this country that you can point to and say, wow, they really skated to where the puck was going. Hey, that doesn't get more Canadian than that. Exactly. <laughs> so who? Okay. All okay. Right. Can, can, can I, Canadian uh, success story well, that, that you've seen. You know what? I have uh, the great privilege of knowing Tom Jenkins, who's okay. the uh, founder of Open Text. Yeah. And Open Text is a Amazing. great example, right? And we hear somebody who, in the early days when the internet was just coming out of, you know, DARPA, here's a guy who says, you know what, I know how to index this. Right. And so, you know, a little unknown company named Yahoo <laughs> licenses the software from Tom Jenkins to be able to essentially index the internet for the first time. Holy crap. And then you talk about, you know, it's 2016 and the man is running a $3 billion company because they've managed to stay ahead of the curve and see, okay, this is how the business is changing. And we don't want to play in the search engine space. We don't want to play there anymore. 
let's move into you know document management storage and search in the back end and high you know for high security companies and people who need to protect their data yeah. that that story that evolution and the guts it takes to walk away when you're the guy indexing the internet to all of a sudden be you know the uh, you know data storage play and be playing in big data that's that's a big fundamental shift but that's somebody who could see where the tides were changing and and change the ship fast enough to not hit the iceberg. And now look at Yahoo, right? I right. Mean, it's like, you know, we, we, we lost Altavista. I'm old. AltaVista, so Dogpile, we're, we're yeah. old together. It's okay. Okay, all good. <laughs> I, I've got a feeling I'm, I'm, I'm a little older than you, but like, um, but you know, I remember dialing into the internet back yeah. in the day. Yeah, and it was, it was just horrible. Google came, game over, Bing came again, and it all got complicated. But like, Open text, I think, is an amazing example. And a Canadian. Like, and, let's and talk can- about an unsung. Like, what I love about Tom is Tom is like this unknown entity to mainstream Canada. Like, most people don't know who Tom Jenkins is. But meanwhile, like, yeah. what an incredible entrepreneur. And what I love about it is that he's behind the scenes building this massive company and having a massive impact on the world around us. And he's not looking for that. You know, the recognition. He's not in it. He's obviously not in it for the vanity, right? And right. Uh, I think that there's a lot that we can learn from him. It, it, it's interesting, isn't it? Um, so we, we're teaching these kids how to break the rules. We've got these amazing entrepreneurs that don't necessarily follow mm-hmm. the rules, but we're still having to operate in a really old system where we've got, you know, the the, the tax man collecting his taxes. <laughs> You know, structures of business that are kind of archaic. Mm-hmm. We're even getting to the point where the S and P five hundred, like the average age of a company within that, sort of fifteen years. So actually, in, in the next fifteen to twenty years, almost like seventy five to eighty percent of all companies in the S and P five hundred could potentially change, right? Wow. But where do we go? Mm-hmm. Because if we're being innovative and we we want to work in different ways, but we're having all these archaic laws around tax regulation, whatever mm-hmm. being put on it. Is, is there something now where we say, okay, it's time to revisit everything um, from a government mm-hmm. um, level, right? Mm-hmm. From taxation, how taxation works and, and funding works within federal, provincial and municipal governments mm-hmm. and all the way down to like looking to these young entrepreneurs to help rebuild the country. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think you're seeing it happen piecemeal, right? I mean, and you look at the upstarts and the companies like Airbnb and Uber and the laws that were there to protect citizens in the old system are all of a sudden hindering innovation and new business models. And so you're seeing you know, laws change to be more flexible to accommodate these new businesses. And I think that the, the, the great thing is that you're hearing government say, listen, we know that we need to now take a new approach. We need to sort of be a values-based regulation system, which is sort of like, if there is no intent to do harm, if we can sort of, uh, you know, limit liability and risk, that's the way to do it versus coming up with very minute laws that are going to be detrimental to innovation. And I think it's really exciting and an exciting time for Canada because, at, you know, the top form of government and the federal government, you have an agenda for innovation. And they're saying, listen, we know things are changing quickly and we know that we've created a system and we have a legacy of a system that isn't allowing for that advancement and asking the people, how, how do we change this? What do you need to be able to do your job? And they're asking entrepreneurs to come to the table. And that's yeah. really amazing. Yeah, it's great. As long as the people that have surrounded all of the startups that are just making money off of the startups get out of the way a little bit because they're kind of making money the old way Absolutely. the old way of consulting in and, and sort of give that that breathing space as well i find it incredibly interesting how 
we are changing the the, the way that the mechanic of the world actually yeah. actually works. Uh, I think Canada is a place where we can start to break this. I mean. Even if you look out to places like Finland, mm -hmm. um, where they've changed to how schooling works yeah. com completely, or you, you look at Iceland, where they've crowdsourced the constitution, <laughs> yeah. right? All these places got to points where they were desperate, right? Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting where we're trying to help fix things before it gets desperate. Mm -hmm. But do you think do you think that there's there's part of it that we kind of have to get to a point where things are so in focus? And we can see that they're really broken, substantially, like democracy in the US, potentially, <laughs> right? Or, yeah. or, or in Canada, the way that we're reliant on natural resources. Mm -hmm. Do we have to get to the point where we're just like, this is broken, we have to have a radical change? Because I, I believe that radical change should come into the world mm -hmm. and should fundamentally disrupt mm -hmm. and reconfigure the world. But that's painful, mm -hmm. and that's years of pain for mm -hmm. many people. I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, these kids coming through Future Design School, these new ideas, entrepreneurs coming on board, even older entrepreneurs having these these new ways of working. How are we how are we going to weather the storm? Because there's going to be it could be like five to ten years of change. We might end up with uni universal basic income. We might end up with you know the majority of, of the country freelancing, mm -hmm. wages going down, produce and everything and imports and exports get all all rejigged. I know you, me, and Robin Chase talked about this a little <laughs> bit. I just kind of want to go with that because as we change, you know, the kids thinking, yeah. we have to change the government thinking. Mm -hmm. But if we change the government thinking, there's, there, there's an unease in the country, right? Yeah. So, yeah, I, I'd love to know what your thoughts are. Well, I mean, I think anytime you start talking about the change for the sake of change, that's dangerous. Right. And I think what we really need to come back to are what are the problems or ills in society that we need to solve? And obviously, income disparity, you know, have versus have not and things like that. We have a rich history of looking out for the greater majority in this country. It's one of the things that makes me most proud to be Canadian is that we have a very deep history of we before me, whereas in the U.S., it's a history of me before we, and that's that's driving a lot of the problems that they have in, in a divisive society. And so when I look at where we're starting at, we're starting at a, an advantage because we have a culture that looks out for the greater good. And so when we start to think about all of these problems like climate change, economic reform, I mean, you saw the rise obviously of um, the 99% and all of those conversations, we're starting to bring that to the forefront of collective consciousness. And that's a, that's a big moment where now we can have conversations about capitalism. It's not just an accepted norm that this is the only way and since we've been doing it this way for so long We have to continue. We're seeing people say no, it's broken and it's not just Noam Chomsky It's you know the guy working at Starbucks He recognizes that the system could be improved upon and that's the first step be before making change And so when you're starting to talk about sort of massive upheaval of society Yes, is it easier to do reform when your backs against the wall? Yes, you know, it's it's always going to happen faster when there's a sense of urgency. But what I'm really, really uh, excited about is that we're having these conversations about how to improve things. Not just, you know, in, we're a country that has universal healthcare. We're talking about universal daycare. We are talking about universal income. We're talking about these things, which 
that is incredible because our backs aren't against the wall. We, sh we should be complacent, <laughs> you know, in, in the grand scheme of things. And, and I know you travel just as much as I do around the world. We are so privileged yeah. and we live in the lap of luxury and it's an incredible, incredible country. And we're very privileged to have the lives that we do. And so to be able to operate from that standpoint and still say, what can we improve? That's awesome. So I think it's going to be a slow reform, and I'm seeing it happen. I mean, we're, we're here at a conference to talk about education and, and how to transform education. You have you know, the world's leading educators talking about ripping apart the system and focusing on the user. Holy crap, that is amazing. That, that is going to have and propel change is when we start to focus on the next generation and how do we empower them to be problem solvers and to go out there and, and solve some of the big hairy problems. And you know the reality is you talked about that generational divide and those older people who maybe aren't as passionate about solving these problems and believe that you should just get a job and you know work your nine to five and, and spend your time on your evenings and weekends doing the things you like. That's changing. Yeah. And so I think that that's going to be the, the, the big question for me is really What's going to happen first? <laughs> you know, the fall of the empire and things go to hell in a handbasket because of things, you know, like the U.S. Uh, and, and we just can't avoid it. They are a society in systemic collapse and whether or not anyone wants to acknowledge it, it's a problem and that's yeah. going to have big ramifications for us. So does that go into a free-for-all where all of a sudden that has negative implications for us or does that drive us forward? And at the same time, you have this amazing technology revolution happening where we're making great advances. How does that impact? And I think that there's so many factors at play. We're really at this very interesting precipice that we could go either way right now. Things could be amazingly good. We could build a society you know, right out the gate, then be an evolution or we let terrible things happen and it happens through a lot of pain and you know, a revolution. Yeah. And I think, you know, the giving pledge and what's happening with mm -hmm. all the billionaires pumping money back into the places that need it the most, it, it is helping. Absolutely. It's starting to redistribute everything. Um, it, it, I mean, this is a really big conversation <laughs> and it, it, it's very difficult to, to get to an end point in a conversation like this because, you know, as we get you know, the te technological progress that's mm -hmm. coming from kids and young entrepreneurs, it is gonna change the world. Mm -hmm. Because the guys in Airbnb, if you know their story, they bought some air bed, they bought some air beds and put it on the floors of their apartment <laughs> and rented them out during a time when there was no beds in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. That's why it's called air bed and breakfast, mm -hmm. right? It, I was t told the story, it, it's amazing. And the guys still own the apartment, apparently, um, that, that they that originally did it with, you know. The guys from Uber, they took like six, seven years before they got traction. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is what people are forgetting as yep. well with a lot of business, that it does take a lot of time. Mm -hmm. And then it takes a lot of money to keep it going because when you are trying to break the world, people <laughs> like Airbnb and Uber are fundamentally breaking laws in cities. Absolutely. And, but they're changing the landscape. Mm -hmm. So if the landscape changes, and then you try and take that capability away from the people that are benefiting from it, mm -hmm. then there's the uprising. Absolutely. So I think we're actually coming into the age of the uprising. So mm -hmm. um, I, I think the Future Design School is part of that. I think that that's, that's an amazing thing that you're doing there. I think that the way that society is breaking down is a part of that. I think we've got a, a bright future after we you know run through the night. Right? <laughs> well, you know what, I'm so encouraged by seeing lots of people take big moonshots and and not just entrepreneurs who are looking out for the greater good and are thinking about that impact but also i mean you know tom jenkins and open text that's a great example ryan holmes at hootsuite 
you know, the guys at Shopify, these people are passionate about giving back, about being part of society and, and really driving the greater good. And I think that that is encouraging. And the more people we have looking out for the greater good, the more people taking big moonshots, the better our chances. Cool. Sarah Prevett, I'm not going to take any more of your time. <laughs> Thank you very much for your insights and I'll see you at the next conference. Absolutely. Thank see you for having me. Bye-bye.